Good morning, good night, and good evening. My name is Timothy Saunders, one of your co-hosts on this edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Unfortunately, Richard is feeling unwell and regrettably is unable to host this important show due to off-the-scale poor air quality, which is precisely one of the knock-on effects caused by this unprecedented number of forest fires in North America. We'll explore this and much, much more uh, with our guest, Dane Wigington, this evening. And uh, we have a lot more to talk about during the course of the show. I'm speaking to you this morning from southwest Turkey, which for many of you is on the other side of our rotating globe. I will soon be joined by co-host, producer Kintia, and also joined by our co-host, researcher Annette Driscoll who have both recently experienced Martian red-looking skies caused by the numerous forest fires in California. Actually, the color of the sky on Mars is a slightly dim but pale blue, which is rather out of harmony with the mainstream model. But you get the idea. Perhaps you've seen some of the photos, uh, one of which shows the Golden Gate Bridge on this very show banner. How do we know the sky is a dim pale blue on Mars. Well, from properly white balancing the vast number of photographs that continue to be sent back to Earth from the array of spacecraft that have so far had varying levels of success in making it to the actual surface. It is relatively easy that life on our not too distant cousin, uh, planet Mars, was once not so very different from our have explored this under the guidance of Richard for many years. And not so many moons ago, we created the Imaging Analysis Workshop, the body of which was featured in the presidential briefing of Off-World Imaging Anomalies, which can be seen advertised on this uh, show, bar, show page. Well, in this, we present an array of artifacts, archaeology and even art that very clearly do not look naturally formed. Clearly something cataclysmic happened to Mars, whether it was a natural disaster like a supervolcano or a planetary collision with perhaps a large meteor or, or even a, a small stray moon, a solar event, or maybe it was self-inflicted by the indigenous or other people. Let's hope that we can work this out. Uh, and actually, let's, let's hope we can work out what's happening on this planet sooner than later. This show is entitled The West is Burning, Why Should We Care? I very much look forward to hearing our guest's perspective regarding these forest fires and much, much more, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us. Timothy, we, you dropped. So... This is Kinthea stepping in until Timothy's connection um, reconnects. We have with us. Are you there, Timothy? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm can sorry you... to say you dropped for a little bit. It, it was ah. dropping in and out of my end, too, if you guys can hear me. Can you still hear me okay? Yes. Good yeah. evening, Dane. I, I'm going to see what I can do. Uh, I'll be back in 30 seconds because I have of an intermittent sound problem. Can you please cover, please, for a little? Sure. Well, Kintia, thank you very much. Well, I think I will take advantage of this to introduce Dane. He has um, been on the show many times and a, a very, oh, what can I say? important guest because he's revealing the science of what's happening on our planet and he has dedicated his life to vigilantly um, guard the well-being of this planet and inform us of what's going on. Dane Wigington's background is in solar energy. He is a former employee of Betchel Power Corporation and was a licensed contractor in California and Arizona. His personal residence was featured in a cover article on the world's largest renewable energy magazine, Home Power. 
He owns a large wildlife preserve next to Lake Shasta in Northern California. Dane made the decision to focus all of his efforts and energy on a full-time investigation of the geoengineering and solar radiation management issues when he began to lose very significant amounts of solar uptake due to over-increasing solar obscuration and global dimming caused from the ongoing jet aircraft spraying aerosol, aerosol dispersions. Dane also noticed a significant and accelerating decline in overall forest health along with licensing UV radiation levels. These factors and others were catalysts that triggered Dane's testing and research into the geoengineering issue, which has been ongoing for over a decade and a half. As the lead researcher for geoengineeringwatch.org, that's geoengineeringwatch.org, Dane has investigated all levels of geoengineering, solar radiation management, and global ionosphere heaters like HARP. Dane has appeared on an extensive number of interviews and films to explain the environmental dangers we face on a global level from the ongoing climate engineering assault. And I add here that Dane has been a frequent guest on the other side of midnight, keeping us updated to what is happening on our beautiful planet. And hey, Timothy, are you back? Okay. I'm just unmuting. Uh, there you can you go. hear me? So I just uh, introduced Dane's bio. Well, thank you very much for that. So may I just ask you, how, how much did you miss or how much did you hear of me at all? I, well, we heard a lot. You <laughs> no, heard a lot. Did you hear enough? <laughs> yes, Timothy, I think yes. Def the, my answer from my side would be, would be definitely yes. Where you right, left well, off is you had talked about Mars and then you were turning your attention to the Earth and saying that you hoped that we would... I think we're going to go and wake up in time to do something that we don't land up like Mars. Those weren't your words, but that's where you were going, I believe. Well, you hit the target. That's exactly where I was going, not to be too predictable. The, the other thing I'd like to just bring to our attention were two or three of the links in, in the uh, news items. And really what I wanted to talk about was obviously the forest fires, which we're going to clearly get into and uh, in, in more detail over the next two, three hours. Uh, the, other, the other point is the snap weather change that we, we saw in Denver this week. And that was incredible. I think it was something in the region of what, 40 degrees in 24 hours or something along those lines. An unbelievable change due to uh, the jet stream changes, I believe. So perhaps we can talk about the extreme weather, which leads me on to extreme flooding in China. And, uh, you know, not necessarily this last week, but certainly in recent times, I've, I've kept an eye on the Three Gorges Dam, which was uh, you know, being questioned if it's actually going to be able to hold back the water, the flood water. There's huge amounts of rain. I think there's a 10 year flood occurring this year in China, uh, which which ultimately ultimately points to a, a data trail in my mind to highlight how perhaps the food chain that, you know, the food production on this planet, you know, things we all eat and, and live from. I mean, there's, you know, seven point so many billion of us. And we're in a position now, not only with the lockdown through this COVID business, um, that we're also being affected by extreme weathers. And, and now on top of that, forest fires with, you know, thousands of acres being destroyed. We also have other rules, for example, in, in Germany this week, I heard there was uh, an African pig flu outbreak where suddenly a law has been rushed in where everything can be closed down. The meat uh, production units have been halted. The harvest has been halted. Uh, you're not allowed to pick fruit from a tree. This is in a, a specifically a small area of Germany at the moment. But the point is that once the law is in place, you know, it, it could potentially be used uh, to to in in the different areas if there's any sort of fear of, of, of outbreak. Uh, this this African pig flu. So so my point is that 
I think we're coming to a point where we're all, the Northern Hemisphere certainly is coming into winter, into fall and into winter. And we already have vulnerable from this, uh, in my opinion, uh, overpowered lockdown in response to the COVID business. Um, but also now we have a vulnerability showing where perhaps the food production is not going to be sufficient for not just this this winter, but of course, if you cannot plant seeds and if you can't do the work this year to prepare for next year, then ultimately next year you could have you know, starting to have famine in, in, in Northern Hemisphere. So this is something I'd like to get into later. Maybe, Dane, it's something which is in your wheelhouse, maybe not, but I think it's an interesting topic to discuss. Over to you. Thank you, Timothy. For Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can perfectly, loud and clear. You know, on, on the, some of the items you pointed out, um, on the global dimming aspect, uh, as Kinthea introduced, why I focused virtually all my time, efforts, energy, and resources on this battle over the last now over 15 years was simply a matter of prioritizing the greatest and most immediate threats we face. And mathematically, statistically speaking, the ongoing atmospheric aerosol dispersions related to climate engineering, solar radiation management, and which in actuality is nothing short of weather warfare. If we look at the overall ramifications from what's going on in our skies, which also includes radio frequency microwave transmissions that are used to manipulate the electrically conductive particulates that are being saturated into the atmosphere. If we look at the totality of these programs and the downstream consequences, again, mathematically and statistically speaking, the climate engineering, geoengineering, aka weather warfare assault is the greatest and most immediate threat we collectively face short of nuclear annihilation. Now, in saying that, that is not in any way to deny all other forms of anthropogenic, i.e. human-caused damage to the planet. That list is almost endless. We have decimated this planet in the geologic blink of an eye. It's really difficult to contemplate um, all the various forms of the human assault on the planet. So I, I want to make it clear that although I focused on climate engineering because I, it's mathematically the biggest hole in the bottom of the boat, again, short of nuclear annihilation, that is no way to deny all other forms of human damage to the planet. So in regard to what happened in Denver, as you mentioned, Timothy, the the temperature swing, the weather whiplash, if you will, that was actually a, um, nearly a 70 degree swing. Nearly 70 degrees. In fact, some reports from the ground were 70 degrees. 70 um, degrees Fahrenheit. Sorry, I was doing some really quick and dirty maths there. I that's was okay. Centigrade 40 and, degrees uh... sounds like a lot. <laughs> 40 degrees would be a lot. Yes. Uh, 70 degrees is, is astounding. And we've seen this before. Uh, Denver just went from uh, an all-time record high of uh, officially just under 100 degrees, reports on the ground of 100 degrees, uh, crashing some 70 degrees in spots, uh, in about 30 plus hours. We've seen this Amarillo, Texas 2013. We saw the same thing. They went from an all-time record high of 100 degrees to snow in a day. And quite simply, this is 100% the result of climate engineering operations. Denver is picked for this. And Denver was picked last year too. They had a, a nearly 70 degree swing last year also. Denver's a basin. And because the chemical ice nucleating operations, this is cloud seeding processes with patented chemical ice nucleating elements. These are endothermic or energy reacting elements that are seeded into the clouds, which chemically, it's, it's a process that can nucleate ice at temperatures above freezing. And then that process though, begins to drop those temperatures radically. And that cold, dense air sinks to the surface, fills that basin and Denver's an ideal spot for them to carry out this type of operation, which in spite of California burning to the ground, temperatures that are astronomically above normal day and night, all summer long, even people that are frying and, and you know literally baking and burning here in the state, they see a headline from Denver, how cold, cold, cold it suddenly is. And they, they convince themselves that, well, okay, it's horrible here in California, but it's, it's cold somewhere, so this must be some sort of anomaly. And it's, it's a way of pacifying populations and confusing them as to the true state of the climate, Timothy. Does that make sense? 
It sounds like cognitive dissonance again. It's uh, this, this reoccurring theme that's coming throughout the media and the news at the moment. Just out of interest, uh, how far in terms of miles is it between Denver, the basin of Denver and California? Just just quick and dirty. Is, is there, are we talking hundreds, thousands of miles? I just wanted no, to just tell the listeners. 1,250 approximately. I was going to say a thousand plus. Yeah. So that's about and right. It, and it, that doesn't sound very approximately. <laughs> oh, well, I've, I've driven it many times. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at some proximities that were much closer though. And we see the same anomaly. So, you know, we'll see this, this line from, you know, extremely warm temperatures to cold, literally in extraordinarily short distances. So in 2013, also there was a quote flash snowstorm October 4th, 2013 in South Dakota that killed about 100,000 cattle at the same time. And that was, that snowstorm started at 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Cattle are very cold hardy, especially South Dakota cattle. So how could this happen? At the same time it was starting to snow in South Dakota, it was still, it was 89 degrees and raining in Kansas City, which is not that far from South Dakota. It was 85 degrees and raining in Chicago. How in the world could there be a snowstorm in South Dakota on October 4th that would kill 100,000 cattle? And again, the temperatures drop radically uh, as this process occurs, but it's it's only a surface layer of cold. And this chemically nucleated element um, that is being pushed as a, a naturally nucleated snow, it's extremely cold to the touch. It can, it can flash burn the organisms also foliage too. It tends to be very adhesive. It sticks to them. It sticks to their snouts. If cattle can't breathe through their nose, they won't breathe through their mouth. They'll die. So four days after the snowstorm that killed 100,000 cattle, uh, they were just laying around in the mud. There was no snow left. So if we look at the, the contrast between California and what just happened in, in Denver, in, you know, an event that was highly sensationalized on media, in the case of California, if we go back nearly a decade to presentations that geoengineeringwatch.org has given on the record, that stated if these operations continued, what is happening now would happen. It couldn't not happen. It had to happen. The, the governor, Gavin Newsom, uh, I gave a, a personal presentation to him some years back at the Capitol in his office with his top aide. They couldn't argue the data that was presented and they have done exactly nothing to disclose these operations. New, Gavin Newsom was told by me in his office that this would happen. So what are we left with? We're, we're left with the knowledge that those in government who pretend to be protecting us are simply assisting in the cover-up of climate engineering operations. And we can, we can speculate on the agendas being carried out by cutting off California's precipitation, putting a high-pressure ionosphere heater-induced dome. It's This is a heat dome, and this is hard science. This is not somebody's opinion or my my speculation or conjecture. This is backed up with military documentation as to what ionosphere heaters like HARP can do. They heat the atmosphere. They heat the ionosphere. They cause an electrical chain reaction that causes massive heating that pushes the atmosphere up and down. And in creating this high-pressure heat dome, which rotates clockwise in the northern hemisphere, they can steer upper-level wind currents. And in the case of what happened in Denver, they steer all the Pacific moisture up and around California while California bakes and fries under this high pressure heat dome and burns to the ground. And that moisture is chemically nucleated the whole, the entire way as it wraps around that clockwise spinning high pressure dome mm -hmm. and back down into the US. And now they have cooler air, more moisture, and they can cool down a zone inland. Now we could consider California at minimum a climate sacrifice zone, but the consistency with which they've cut off our precipitation and installed these heat domes and, and fried us has actually been occurring since 2007 we must consider California target as well. And if your listeners want to look up uh, uh, earlier presentations and see exactly how accurate they were to outline exactly what's happening now, search engineered drought catastrophe target California. Mm. So Dane, this is absolutely fascinating. You're, you're ahead of the game on clearly ahead of the game on, on me on this, because I think there's some catching up to do also perhaps some of our listeners may like to, to catch up as well. First of all, do you think that obviously what what that what is happening here is is fully intended it, it's not an accident it's it, it but is it still in an experimental stage or is there a, an actual purpose to this cold snap i mean it, it, 
do you think it's like a, a challenge to test and see if we can make this happen? Or do you think it actually is? If you're, you're referring being, to what happened in Denver? Yes. Well, again, this, the attempt to mask the severity and immediacy of climate collapse, and that's really the correct scientific term for what we face. We don't face global warming. We would be lucky if we faced global warming. We faced, an, we faced what is already mathematically and statistically an abrupt climate and environmental collapse. And in order to keep business as usual, in order to confuse and divide populations as to the true state of the climate, they have continually engineered these events. Timothy, do you remember, let's go back a few years, do you remember 2014, winter 2014, 2015, there was, there was constant sensationalized headlines here in the U.S. about the record snows in Boston. Do you, do you remember that by chance? I I do remember. I, I remember seeing the news reports. Yes, I do. Reports so, with big coats and uh, deep snow around them. Yes. Exactly. So at the same time, what did we not see? We didn't see that 14,000 feet up at the top of the Sierras, there was no snow. And ah. this is the sort of one-sided um, image that we're fed. Uh, we had uh, last year, the year before, we had record snows in Lake Erie. And that, that was truly a sign of desperation because they... It's, it's becoming so warm in winter now without these nucleation processes that they're, they're increasingly strained to try to carry out these events. So in Lake Erie, being on the east side of one of the Great Lakes, Lake Erie, or in Erie, Pennsylvania, they were picking up the moisture off the um, still not frozen lake and dumping it in a tiny, tiny region in Erie, Pennsylvania to and Buffalo and, and other spots there to create these sensationalized headlines. And, and you literally go 10 miles, you're out of the snow completely. In fact, uh, we recovered from online and a few media sources covered it, about a 300 mile long stripe of snow right across Kansas, a uniform stripe of snow on level ground. Now, how exactly does that happen? It happens because the aircraft, likely in that case, a military tanker that dumped its nucleating payload over the storm moisture in that region. It created a stripe of snow. And and again, we're not speculating. If, if your listeners looked up to see mainstream coverage of engineering winter weather, if they search Chinese scientists, mm. um, cr Chinese scientists create snowstorm in Beijing. I think that's what it's under. They'll see Fox News covered it. Popular Science covered it. Um, the Chinese government, and the second time they did this over Beijing, again, this is chemically nucleating cloud moisture, converting what should have been liquid precipitation, i.e. rain, into frozen, i.e. snow, a, a nucleated material. And they did a billion dollars worth of damage to Beijing on the second time, and they have since um, shut up about their activities. But it's not a secret. And we have the patents for these processes as well. So, um, and you may remember uh, in the Olympics, Timothy, do you remember... Even though it was warm in Sochi, they said, don't worry, we'll have snow. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I, do I do remember that. <laughs> if you looked at some of the, the, the film footage, you could actually see that on the mountains where the Olympic facilities were, there was snow. And surrounding mountains of the same elevation, there wasn't. <laughs> very, very selective, which, which mountains were covered then. Yes, the, the coordinates were put in. And, and they do have this ability. We know ski resorts, they nucleate snow on their ski slopes. And uh, this technology is real. It's, it's a look at the, um, you guys know in a first aid kit, you can have an ice pack, right? It, it, the first aid kit can sit in your shelf for 20 years. You mix that ice pack, you got ice instantly, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Same processes on a much larger scale, but highly toxic. And the elements that are, in these mixes, in fact, uh, sur there is surfactants is one. We have polymer fibers. We have other forms of uh, metals, aluminum, barium, strontium. And we've lab tested about 70 lab tests in Northern California alone. Again, we're not speculating. Dane, I remember it was not so long ago that when people talked about chemtrail spraying, aircraft spraying and so on, that it was just being put down to sort of, you know, tinfoil hat uh, conspiracy theorists and so on. But I do remember a certain point, the, it was reported in an official way on mainstream media. I can't remember the exact date, but could you give us a little bit of background about how it was, you know, it was tried, they tried to cover it up 
and at a certain point it then became overt and totally acceptable to talk about. Well, on that term, yeah, that's the term that, that official sources always use because it's their goal to marginalize. And the, and the quote, chemtrails term is not based in any science whatsoever. The people that um, use that term, it's okay in a private conversation, but for any agencies or media, we, we definitely, at geoengineeringwatch.org, we stick to the science terms, geoengineering, climate engineering, solar radiation management. Um, on mainstream media coverage, there's certainly never been an acknowledgement of these programs. There's been a discussion that we, lots of discussions from science institutions all over the globe and mainstream media that that we need to do this immediately. This is their position. This is the position of academia, that we need to do this immediately. We need to spray these particulates from jets. And if we did it, it would look exactly like what we see in the sky and have the exact effects that we're seeing. But what we're seeing is not actually what we're seeing. And that's that's the absurdity of this entire equation um, that we have a population that's told not to believe what they can see with their own eyes, even though it matches exactly with the climate science community and academia or elected officials from many countries say we could, may, might do and must do eventually. Um, it's been going on for 70 plus years, Timothy, and we have the data 70. to prove that. 70. Yes, sir. Wow. That's incredible. Immediately after World, after World War II. So during the reduced flights, during this COVID lockdown, uh, is, has it been more easy to see, to pick out the, the chemtrail spraying aircraft? Uh, the, the, yeah, the aerosol dispersing aircraft, uh, the operations over many regions, there was a, a slight diminishment. There was, I'm sure, a lot of maneuvering going on to... Um, because the commercial carriers, which are also used in these operations, we know that with certainty. We have the up-close photographs of the nozzles on commercial carriers mount, mounted on the pylons, aiming through the exhaust jet stream to make these dispersions look like, quote, condensation when it's not. So when when the commercial carriers um, drop down, then, you know, the, the, the traffic dropped back. Um, there was a, a slight diminishment diminishment in operations um not sure if you can you guys hear that you, you can't hear that blipping over the the phone can you or over the mic can you there's a blipping on my end i can't you don't hear, hear that do you no okay good so anyway back to um the dod department of defense in the case of the u.s tooling back up we have over 800 that we know of. we work with some military personnel too on our end and this is verifiable from numerous sources online, the U.S. Department of Defense has leased since the onset of the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. they have leased some 800 commercial carrier aircraft for they, DOD purposes. That is an incredible number. We're just coming up on, on to a break at the bottom of the hour. Uh, however, I'd love to hear some more about that and also about the technology of how these particulates are, I'm using all the wrong terms, but how they're actually sprayed in the air itself. So uh, let's go to break and we'll come back shortly. As a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events and thus to bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news.
And the other side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, seven to nine p.m. Pacific time. I warn you, you'll miss it. the other side of midnight tonight we have a very profound show our guest is dane wigington he's been a guest many times this is kinthea along with annetta driscoll and timothy Saunders. we are holding space for richard who is recuperating from the debris of the california fire which has reached him all the way in new mexico so Hold wholesome light for him. He really wanted to be on last night and this night, but he could barely talk. So, Dane, uh, I am really struck by the accuracy <laughs> of what they're able to do when you tell me they can make snow on one mountain and not another. That's amazing. So. It's it's actually if if you just consider, um, you know, if you have a span of maybe a a few miles between these mountaintops. I mean, we're, we're simply talking about where the aircraft disperses its nucleating elements. And it's just like a ski run when you see these ski runs on the increasingly warm, dry mountains where you, you the only place you see snow is on the ski run. You guys have seen that before probably, right? Well, yes, indeed. I haven't been skiing that much. So I, well, if I you look at some you. of the ski runs now, it's, it's fairly common because it's getting warmer, warmer. So when you have a precipitation event over these types of regions, um, you would you would get rain on an adjacent mountain where if the aircraft dispersed their endothermic reacting elements in the snow and the moisture that's over the particular uh, topography that they want, um, you would get the frozen precipitation there. And to give you an idea how cold this material is. We tested uh, on one of the first fall snows on Mount Shasta in Northern California, and the temperatures had not dropped below 30 degrees to that point in the year. And, and after the, the snow, the nucleated snow event fell, the, the, the temperature of the snow, the frozen material on the surface was 16 degrees. Now, how do you have 16 degree material on the surface of a mountain that has not been below 30 degrees yet. So again, it's it's an energy absorbing uh, reaction. And these are patented processes. We have some of those patents at geoengineeringwatch.org. And uh, this is this is hard science. It's people think water freezes at 32 degrees no matter what happens. That is simply not the case. And the patents themselves state that with the nucleating materials, they can nucleate at temperatures pushing 50 degrees and even above. So again, ice nucleation science is very profound. We have lab tests posted at geoengineeringwatch.org showing what happens when you drop some of these nucleating materials into a, a vessel of water. It freezes it instantly in front of your face. The, the vessel is turned upside down. Within a second after these materials are dropped in, it's frozen solid. So it's, it's very profound science, very real. Which brings me to wonder, like, wh what hope do we have? I hope you have some answers for us. This is where the equation becomes difficult. And if we look at, let's look at what's happening in California right now again, because that's that shows the epitome of climate engineering desperation. We've seen, we have other parts of the world incinerating right now too. We hear virtually nothing about that. So far in, 20, in 2020, in the Amazon, there's been 63 thousand fires 63,000 Siberia has lost nearly 50 million acres we hear about what we've lost in the western US now it's put, I think I believe it's about 6 million acres at the last count all-time record here Siberia's lost nearly 10 times that we hear nothing about it Amazon same we lose the forests the forests die we die that simple and while everybody's arguing about politics 
on every side of the political fence. That's exactly what those in power want them to do, so they do not see the wider horizon. Um, the planet's life support systems are dying, plain and simple, and we've been led to believe that such catastrophic changes can only take place over many decades or centuries. That is simply not true. Once you're at this point and you have perhaps 50 feedback loops in full play right now, we're down two years at best. Uh, not two years, but down down in the scale of a few years, I, you know, to make that point clear. Um, and we have converging catastrophes in that any one of which is an extinction level event. Let's take the ozone layer and, and Timothy and Kinthea, are you aware that wildfire smoke also destroys the ozone layer? Well, I, I wasn't, but I am now. <laughs> And this is you. You guys have probably both seen conflicting mainstream articles. It's recovering. It's not recovering. Have you guys seen that back and forth? Well, I, I find it. Um, Wayne, uh, Dane, sorry. Well, try that three times. Uh, this is Annetta. I, I find it interesting that there was so much uh, play and information and news articles about the ozone, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. I mean, was I the only one that had that experience, or what happened there? That's a good observation, and, and you'd have occasionally uh, an article surface that would indicate that it's you know this recovery is still going on, and then you would see maybe a month later another article saying no, it's definitely not recovering. It's worse than ever over urban areas, and uh, the collapse of the ozone layer never abated, and the CFCs, the chlorofluorocarbons that it was blamed on, although they are detrimental for the layers of the atmosphere, including the ozone, that was a scapegoat. That was a red herring. And climate engineering operations were, in fact, the single greatest source of ozone destruction. And this is borne out by science study. Again, we're back to academia. We have uh, academic report making clear that, quote, if we engineered the climate with these particulates, it would decimate the ozone layer. Again, pretending that it's not going on already. So in the case of how much UV radiation is bombarding the surface of the planet right now. We know so-called official agencies are are now measuring UV radiation from approximately 380 nanometers up. Only UVA. Now they're no longer measuring, in many instances, UVB, which is 380 nanometers to 280 nanometers. And from 280 down, we have UVC, 280 to 100. Below 100, you have X-ray. So what we're getting on the surface now is extraordinarily high amounts of UVB, and we're getting UVC on the surface now as well, down to 280 nanometers. So we're, we're getting DNA-altering spectrums of UV radiation on the surface now. We're seeing it show up in radically reduced leaf sizes in foliage on certain specimens. Um, other, it, it's in the case of the insect population collapse, it's a major factor. Plankton collapse. No plankton, no people. Very simple. P global plankton populations, which is the largest source of energy in the planet, by the way. It's the greatest sequestering mechanism on the planet for carbon. Plankton populations down 60 to 70% globally. 60 to 70%. And UV is the geoengineering factor. Again, there's so many roads that lead back to geoengineering. Geoengineering destroying the ozone layer. Plankton have to feed in the upper levels of the water column because they photosynthesize and they're being slaughtered from intense, intense UV radiation. And that's not to deny all the other forms of damage to plankton in the oceans. I'm not denying any of that. But I'm, sim I'm simply saying that if this is the, the greatest mathematical factor in the equation, must we not focus on this first? So um, back to, again, how severe our situation is if we took the ozone collapse scenario alone based on calculations that a former NASA contract engineer who's working with geoengineeringwatch.org, state-of-the-art equipment, we supplied him, very expensive equipment. Um, he's calculating if the current rate of ozone destruction continues, we may face total ozone layer collapse by 2026. That would be the end of the road. This doesn't sound very, uh, very cheery, does it, on this... Uh... Monday morning. It's morning where I am. <laughs> the reason I the reason I'm trying to you know it, we are way too late in the game to in any way, shape, or form 
tone down the severity of what's happening. And only by shocking people to a completely conscious status that they might prioritize the fact that the ship is going down, everybody is needed on deck, so to speak. And if, if by a collective awakening, we can bring this issue to light, again, a critical mass of awareness so that military personnel who are being told they're doing something for the greater good, which couldn't be further from the truth. If we can bring this issue so completely out in the open that it causes a shockwave around the globe and all those participating, starting with the U.S. military and other militaries around the globe, all, all the major powers are cooperating actively or passively in these programs, we would have a chance of stopping this insanity from the inside out if we can do that and if we can then allow the planet to respond. The planet's right now, it's completely straight-jacketed. It cannot mm. respond to the damage done. And if that does not change, we have no chance in the near term. We face extraordinarily near-term planetary omnicide. But if, by our collective efforts, we could expose and halt these operations, allow the planet to respond, then we'd have a, an extensive list of other human activities that must be immediately brought to a halt. But if we could first accomplish this, expose and halt climate engineering, Again, the greatest assault on Earth's life support systems, bar none, short of nuclear annihilation. We could at least buy time, Timothy and Kanthea. I mean, you, you have people like Bill Gates, for example, who I believe is developing or even experimenting with his, his own system to spray particulates into the atmosphere to shade us from the sun. I mean, he's being hailed as a hero. I mean, clearly he's not, on, in my opinion, on lots of other levels. But what why would anybody believe that this is doing us any good? Well, first, about Gates. Yes. The, the Scopex project that he was involved with. Scopex, that's right. Nothing but a red herring. Absolute red herring meant to distract populations, making them think that, oh, this is just in the experimental stages. Um, Gates certainly knows that is not the case. And if I can... If I can take one minute to tie a couple strings together with Gates, and, and I, I certainly share your opinion, Timothy, he is as despicable an individual as has ever walked the face of this planet. And he has recently hired the second most recognized geoengineer in the world, Dr. Ken Caldera, an individual who formerly worked for the Department of Defense, an individual who we have on audio tape captured at a an international event we have the original at geoengineeringwatch.org and he stated on the record and your listeners can find this on our site that one of the things he did for the department of defense was to come up with methods to seed clouds with pathogens to infect the populations below now isn't it interesting that he works for gates now isn't it interesting that gates made clear since 2015, that a pathogen was coming, that Gates, in Event 201, Kinthia and Timothy, are you familiar with the Event 201 that was that, initiated? Very, on, okay, very, October, 8, October 18th, 2019, correct? Yes. At the same day that the International Olympics occurred in Wuhan, with U.S. soldiers there, that the data indicates were infected from a leak at Fort Detrick in the U.S., and Gates... So he puts on for your listeners, if they don't know, this mo the, the mock coronavirus pandemic, exactly when it's kicking off, and as if they don't know this is going to happen, when he's, he's involved with patents relating to this pathogen, when we have Anthony Fauci, a Gates colleague, I'm sure, Kinthea and Timothy, you've both seen Fauci in 2017 on a podium stating, quote, I'm quoting verbatim, that there will absolutely be a surprise pandemic during this presidency you've mm -hmm. have you seen him say that mm -hmm. absolutely with a little smile on his, his face as well isn't yes exactly that nasty so, little smirk <laughs> so if we tie this all together is it that bad are we there is this in game being played out and the answer is absolutely yes it's happening now and we don't have much time and if i think I think you put your thumb on it, Dane, when you say we need a global awakening. And, and it feels to me like 
these beings, I don't even know that I can call them people anymore because if the whole planet dies, they would die. So it makes me question, I'm beginning to wonder if they're even really human. Seriously, because, you know, a dead planet would be death for them and their families if they are human. And here they are doing all these things to change the genetics of of the species, the human species and the the biological species and animal species and setting off one domino event after another. It's to me, it's incomprehensible evil. I have to say it. I haven't said it before, but I do have to say this is beyond. And I wonder like what kind of beings would be behind this? I can't believe human beings would be behind this. I just, it it seems beyond even the global elite. Having grown up with some that would do this, um, I would, I would say that it's, well within the realm of what some human beings do. And we have more than enough examples through history, more than enough of incomprehensible acts of quote, human beings. And I, I you know, it's certainly a, a, an incomprehensibly massive universe. I can't imagine that uh, we would be alone here, but that being said, um, I, I can only imagine any, any life form that could, come up with the technology to cross the galaxy and survive its own success, which clearly our species doesn't look like it's going to. Um, some other life form I, I can only imagine is being benevolent and they could do whatever they want whenever they wanted if they were here. In this case, I think we can hang the squirrely around the neck of humans behaving poorly. We have a, a track record all the way back of, of this type of behavior from our species, when we look at the detonation of 2,000 plus nuclear bombs, and, and again, this is a question though, your, your question is extremely important, Kintia, and that so many can't get around this mentally, that quote, why would they, i.e. in the end, those who print the money, that's, that's who the they is at the top of the pyramid, mm-hmm. those who control the flow of money. They own militaries, thus they own countries. So why would they do this to themselves? Why would they detonate 2,000 plus nuclear bombs? That contaminated everything on the planet, including detonating bombs in the upper atmosphere, Project Starfish, of which the ramifications are still unfolding. They did it anyway. We have Fukushima, triple nuclear meltdown, triple nuclear volcano, no end in sight, no technology to fix it. And yet we're building 60 more nuke plants right now. We have about 440 on the planet right now, all of which are going to become Fukushima's. And... This is, a, again, it's a, if we think of this, those at the top as a headless, heartless, soulless cancer, each looking out for their own personal paradigm, no compassion in these people. We know that from psychological analyzation. And, and there's also a common thread, Kinthea and Timothy, and I'll, I'll give this back to you, from psychoanalysis of the types of personalities that uh, crave power, that are addicted to power. And again, with the various forms of diagnosis these individuals have, there's a common thread, and that's a near total lack of comprehension as to the consequences of their actions, even to themselves. Hmm. Do you think that there are, let's say that there is this global awakening, are there technologies that we can use to counter what's been going on? To some degree the first leap in the right direction must be to stop the damage, to halt further damage. And that would involve, must involve, if the human race has any desire to survive much longer on this planet, bringing to an end all environmentally destructive forms of human activity. Everything that can possibly be halted must be halted. Do we face massive global die-off under any scenario? That's a given. That is an absolute given. And the whole... CV-19, which can only be called a pandemic. You guys have probably seen both of oh, those we're documentaries. we're totally with you on that. Okay. <laughs> you, you've seen both those documentaries, I'm, I'm sure, pandemic mm-hmm. and... Pandemic. Absolutely, yes. So this yeah. is a response. Again, we need to look at this, and we have the, the so-called science community trying to blame this on nature, saying when, as the polar regions thaw and as we destroy the Amazon, we're going to see these pathogens. There's nothing to support that hypothesis. On the other hand... 
with 400 plus biolabs all over the world doing exactly this type of engineering, we're back to Occam's razor. Uh, where is the likely source of these pathogens? Obviously the biolabs, not nature. So at best, again, mathematically speaking, we face an unimaginable collapse of human populations that's already unfolding now. But I would argue, I, I know our species is trained to, in so many cultures, that preserving life at any cost, no matter how miserable or, or um, difficult or, or, you know, that that somehow that's the only meaning in life is to preserve that life. And I would argue from my perspective and other cultures that a life well lived is what matters most, isn't it? I mean, if, if we are, um, we should remain in our post, we should do our best for the greater good. And if we have done that, if we have exercised the only thing that any of us own, our will, our honor, if we have preserved those traits, our virtue, whatever happens, whenever our part in the play is up, uh, that's a life well lived. And I would argue that's a philosophy that's worth adopting right now. And no matter how long the odds, if there's any chance of salvaging anything for anyone, any part of Earth's life support systems, that someone may continue on, that some part of this miraculous I don't even have the words for my feelings about nature. It's 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 so incomprehensibly miraculous that I, I, I mean, I marvel about it every day as I watch it die around me. But um, if we can preserve any part of that, it's worth throwing our entire being at. Absolutely, and I and I'm thinking also about how you mentioned to appeal to the militaries around the world. I mean, everyone that's in the military has a family. The families should be putting pressure to let them know about this. I mean, there there needs to be some kind of uh, hmm, sharing of this information that's that's not just on a political level, but it's in the grassroots levels of families to families that they understand really. Because I'm sure they've been told that what they're doing is something good for the planet. Nobody would knowingly kill their own families. You're, you're striking the nail exactly on the head, exactly on the head. That's exactly what needs to happen. And they, they have been not just told, but indoctrinated to believe that, you know, they are involved with, you know, something for the greater good, this, this false sense of blind obedience, patriotism. And But if we can reach the families and they begin to share and they begin to break down that indoctrination from their military family member, only from the inside out can these programs be stopped. But if we collectively learned how to effectively and efficiently share credible data, and that's a key term in this equation, credible data, not to just gulp down and then spew back out anything that's dangled before us, any sensationalized, and there's so many sensationalized fringe narratives online about this issue that are not in any way, shape, or form factually or scientifically based, that doesn't help us gain credibility. That doesn't help us in this cause. But to share credible data from a credible source, Geoengineering Watch has done everything we can to be that source. There's 2,600 plus reports on our site. Uh, they can, in sections like the engineering wildfire section, I would encourage anybody, everybody to go through that to, to fully understand how totally climate engineering is intertwined with the wildfire scenarios and the same with engineering winter, engineering droughts. And again, not to deny all the other forms of damage to the planet. And Timothy, you brought up global dimming. Thank you for doing that. And in regard to global dimming, certainly it's not just climate engineering, any form of particulate, whether it's pollution, exhaust from a, a diesel truck, any, anything that ends up in the atmosphere is a part of that equation. But the intentional dimming of the skies through solar radiation management is the, the most destructive aspect in that equation of all. Again, we are completely derailing Earth's natural life support and natural response mechanisms. And if we, conti we continue much longer, and I, I'm not speaking in terms of decades, I'm speaking in terms of very few years and not that things even stay normal during that time. I mean, I, I believe based on everything we see that 
I personally will be surprised if we reach the first of of the year without major links in the chain dropping out and things becoming much worse than they are now and that spiraling rapidly from that point on. That's how near it is, just like ozone collapse. If total collapse mathematically were to be 2026, 20, it doesn't mean things stay normal until then. So it, um, we are seeing right now all over the globe, fisheries collapse, crops collapse. Uh, we're seeing nations that are beginning to descend into chaos and carnage because the population is starving. We're seeing that right now. Dane, one question I have, I know we're coming up to a break shortly, but uh, I think if Richard were here, he would be asking, uh, isn't this all uh, a pattern according to the whole solar system is, is warming up? Isn't, isn't it like a natural cycle we're all going through, through the, the sun cycle of the sun cycle of the solar system? We don't see that or there's no data to support that scientifically or statistically. The Earth is in the elliptical phase of its orbit. It should be and was beginning to cool again cyclically prior to the commencement of the Industrial Revolution. So as far as other planetary bodies go, the only data we have to rely on there is from official sources. And I, you know, I think we're all skeptical of those sources, whatever they say from this standpoint you know it's we have them to rely on we have uh them to rely on about uh what did or didn't happen in various forms of space exploration and uh but in regard to what's happening planetarily we have paleo data from many sources and that data is quite definitive so we see that again the the cyclical pattern of waxing and waning ice ages um, reveals a, a descent into a, a, that cooling period again that was abruptly stopped at the start of the Industrial Revolution and then the momentum behind the heating of the planet was so profound, so extraordinary. And, and you know, if we look at this statistically, of this being in any way not anthropogenically caused, and that, that oh, I, I think we have a break right now, so I don't want to go... Uh, if, do I have a minute, Timothy, still, or you want to wait till after break? Uh, well, we have a few seconds, so... Uh, okay, well, let's, what I'll get into after break, then, is the statistical data behind the likelihood of what's happening on our planet right now being connected to anything other than human activity is a statistical mathematical zero. It's a decimal point with 100 mm -hmm. zeros behind it. It's a statistical zero. So. Okay. We can pick it up after. I think we're going to need to, but that's a, that's a fairly alarming fact. Let's pick it up after the break. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because Without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>